0: Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Join me for insightful conversations and interviews about our cattle industry. Here we discuss the shared struggles and successes of this life we've chosen as ranchers. Here we seek to learn from the experts around us, eager to grow and challenge the accepted. Here we are the Black Hereford Chronicles. Leoma Wells of Data Genie is exactly that a data genie. Her ability to process, understand, and then even explain data is bar none. And I was lucky enough to steal some of her time. Let's dig in. Gastel Family Farms is committed to the future of Black Herefords. Bill serves on the board of directors for the Tennessee Black Hereford Association and is a lifetime member of the ABHA, striving to provide superior Black Herefords to the industry. Gastel cattle are exceptionally sound and genetically proven. Make sure you check out their consignments in the Source for Genetic Excellence sale in Tennessee next Saturday, April 1st. You can get a hold of Bill anytime to talk about those cattle by email at bgaestel at live.com or give him a call at 304 268 9121. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Black Herford Chronicles. I've got a guest that I think everyone's going to find really interesting here. Um, Lioma, let me just ask you to kind of introduce yourself to those that don't know you and talk about what your background in the industry has been. Yes, Jennifer, thanks for having me on this morning. And interesting is a a great word sometimes to describe what we do uh, because it gets a little dry over here on the data management side of things. So, my name is Leoma Wells. I own Data Genie LLC, which is a data management and DNA genomics liaison company is the way I best describe it. So I like to say that um, I handle everything from data entry to folks who just need a little bit more help wrapping your heads around how do we take all of this information and really make genetic progress in our herd. So how do we take everything that's being thrown at us and really assemble it into something to make selection decisions? I arrived here... We spent 12 years at a breed association right out of college. Um, My degree was in animal science. So I went to work for the American Simmental Association um, under Jerry Lipsy, who, if you've ever had the encounter or the chance to work with Dr. Lipsy, he is an instructor at heart. So he really took us all underneath our wing, like his wing. And so I worked there for 12 years in total herd enrollment, DNA. I mean, you name it, I did it. And then I went on to work for Neogen for four years. Um, as the breed association account manager. So I've had experience with 34 different breed organizations, including Black Hereford. And uh, then I went out on my own um, in August and I work with a company called Allied Genetic Resources uh, that I work very closely to and Data Genie. So that's how kind of how I'm here, Jennifer. And I like to say, I'm I'm still learning. I'm a student of genetics, just like we all are. Uh, So, you know, well easy on some of the questions because I am not a trained geneticist. So Well, luckily neither are any of us. So <laughs> we're all just out here trying to do the best we can. Absolutely. One of the things that we've really focused on in this podcast is the importance of data collection and just getting that data in to help improve the breed and improve our EPDs. Yeah. It's all so valuable, especially to a young, growing, small breed like ours. But one of the things that I think kind of gets neglected a little bit when we're talking about that is contemporary groups. We kind of underestimate the role that they play in EPDs. And it feels like sometimes they almost wind up as an afterthought. You're registering calves and, oh, yeah, you know, I have to put a group number here. So can we talk about contemporary groups and why they're important and what their real connection with EPDs is? Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest things to hone in on is number one, I always say, let's not make the assumption. I'm sure you've had previous podcasts that talk about what an EPD expected progeny difference. So we're not talking about the individual themselves. We're talking about what they have the ability to produce. Well, it's amazing how, how that expected part... Just we gloss right over that and we look out at the cow and say, well, that's not what her EPD said. We forget the expected part, even just that piece. And we forget that it's an average, right? So over that cow's lifetime, if she were to have a certain amount of calves, that would be the average of what we expect. So you're going to have just like in my family, Jennifer, I think this is important in your contemporary group talk because my brother, my sister and I are all very different, Right, So, my same parents had us all, and if you look at us, you have a very high performer, it's not me by the way, and then you know you have a low performer, and we all came from the same set of parents and so, if you had looked at our parents expected how their progeny would look, we' probably average out to what was expected, but each of us are at different ends of the spectrum so We need to remember that when we talk about EPDs or we talk about that, we talk about our herd as a whole. Okay. And we focus so much on individuals because we're seed stock producers. And so we get stuck on this cow. Like you said, this cow, you know, has produced this every single year. And what we need to remember is, you know, when she's when her when she's having progeny, they're obviously inheriting very desirable genes from her. And they're outperforming what we expected on the average. So I think that that's when we talk about EPDs, let's remember we're talking about the whole, the population, and then we're trying to boil it down to that individual. Um, so let's start the conversation there. Circling back to contemporary groups, Jennifer, you mentioned it tends to be an afterthought. I would actually say data as a whole yeah. falls by the wayside because. I mean, I live out here in Roy, Montana. You know, we're on a cow-calf operation. We woke up this morning and the cows don't have water. So what is the first thing we're concentrating on? Water. I mean, data for the bull sale, data for, you know, the calves, like that's falling to the side. So I would say that contemporary groups tend to be one of the last things in data as well. And I think it should be one of the most vitally important especially if you're selling seed stock. And the reason why is contemporary groups allow us to compare. They allow us to like truly see apples to apples. And the reason why they do that is we're splitting off animals and saying these animals had the equal opportunity to perform. So if you're thinking about contemporary groups out there, don't try to make it complicated. Um, that's my biggest advice to breeders is if those animals were under the, you know, similar ability to gain. Okay. So if they're managed within the same pasture, they have to walk the same distance to water. That's something we don't think about. So sometimes people have multiple pastures and maybe in one pasture, like we have one pasture, they have to go three miles to get to a water trough. Those animals shouldn't be in the same contemporary group that animals that have water readily accessible. Right. Um, So these are the things to think about, but don't make it too complicated. Um, Your two year olds, we obviously know that two year old, you know, their first calf efforts, their calves aren't going to wean off as is high. You should probably separate your two year olds and have, you know, their calves as as one contemporary group, as long as they all had the equal opportunity to perform because comparing your two-year-old to a six-year-old is not fair. The six-year-old is hopefully going to have a little bit of a heavier calf. She's more developed. So these are the things I kind of think about as you guys um, wrap your heads around contemporary groups. And then you allow the evaluation to do the rest. <laughs> so Jennifer, like that's that's what I find when I when I talk with folks about contemporary groups is we try to make it too complicated. And what we need to remember is... If the animals had the equal opportunity to perform, that's a contemporary group. Um, And then the evaluation is going to separate that by gender, by age. So the evaluation is going to do the rest for you. But if you separate amongst your ranch, your farm, or if you have cooperator herds, different. like a lot of times in today's world, we have leased ground. All of those cows that go to lease would be a contemporary right and then the ones that are at home would be separate um, and and so that's that's something to get our conversation started today and and i'd like to know you know your thoughts on well, that. I'd love to dig in on part of that and ask what your advice would be a lot of our breeders are smaller and i think that makes contemporary groups more challenging sometimes when you've only got a handful of cows out there and you're trying to decide okay so do i have a bunch of really really teeny tiny contemporary groups Or am I actually better off because they're small, lumping them all in as one saying, I'm not going to separate out the two-year-old and the six-year-old. What would you advise in those situations? It's a great question. So the largest your contemporary groups are going to be is at birth, right? They never, contemporary groups can never get bigger. So that's something we also need to discuss is, um, they're going to pare down. So as you go from birth to weaning to yearling, your groups are going to get smaller because animals are going to leave. Animals are going to get sick, die. Um, And so to your point, I try to say about 10, like, and if you don't have 10 cows, like, you know, start worrying about really getting precision when you start having more than 10 animals. And I think that you can get your groups too small. Um, so when you really start nitpicking Jennifer, so like we pointed out the pastures, right. And so let's say that you have two pastures at your place and they're very similar in nature and you only have 15 cows, leave all of them together. Right. So from a, from a data standpoint, I I would advise if you have 15, you know, cows, like, like, and they're treated very similarly, But when you start getting up to 20 or 25 cows and you have them split between those two pastures, maybe you start looking at that of, of putting them, you know, in separate groups. So this is all an evolving conversation. But I think the most important thing is if you pull two heifers into the show barn and they're getting feed, additional feed, those two heifers should not be included in the group of heifers that's out on pasture or range. Uh, so it's when you start treating animals very different um, in those smaller herds that you definitely need to make sure that those get denoted appropriately. I'd be curious too what your response would be. There's been some people that I've heard talking about concerns that, and I know we can't control the honesty level of other people, but why is it a bad idea? To go ahead and lie on something and say, "Oh no, my, my calves aren't creep fed." Why is it in your best interest to go ahead and own that and just mark the creep fed box? So we talking about EPDs? Um, what goes into an EPD? And I think that that's also something we don't talk about enough. And and this is going to answer your point. But so an EPD for those out there, it's your pedigree. So it's a sire and dam. And it's performance, which is any phenotype information and a phenotype, meaning a measurement that you collect and submit. And then it's genomics. Okay. So if you do genomics, and then it would be progeny that comes in on those animals, Jennifer. So that's what goes into an EPD. So when you're asking about, you know, those folks who fill in, I'm going to say, um, some data that might not be accurate. I won't I won't call it incorrect, but we'll call it non-accurate data. What you're doing is truly skewing your data. So it doesn't... I mean, it doesn't impact Jim Smith down the road as much as it impacts you and the long term of your business. So if you're someone who's looking at EPDs and utilizing this and your VM cow cards... Now you have nothing to base non-emotional selection decisions off of because you don't have accurate data. And so, um, you know, folks sometimes who are filling that stuff in, it's better to not fill something in, in my opinion, because what you're doing is, is feeding the evaluation information. That's not accurate. You're skewing cow cards, you're skewing sires and it all comes out in the wash. Like I I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it. Uh algorithms are a real thing and what happens within the evaluation is the AI picks up that it's not actually biologically possible for that animal to have weighed. And I mean, I know this is like people are like, "Oh, like, you know, and and they're probably rising up right now as you're listening to this, but that is that is no joke. Um the evaluation can determine, you know, that that's just not biologically possible based upon, like you said, without creep, you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's basically saying this animal couldn't have weighed 1100 pounds off of the dam. Like that's, that's not remotely possible. And I know, and like I said, no one's saying that you're a, a fibber. Like if that was the case, just report it accurately so that the computer can say, oh, the animal was crept, you know, creeped from the moment it was 120 days old or whatever. And, um, so that's something for you to keep in mind is, and another thing is, is bad data is bad data Jennifer like, I mean, I I've seen a lot in my 17 years in this business and it's, if you're going to spend the time to collect and submit data, make sure it's the best work that you can produce. That that's my, I mean, otherwise, why are you spending the time? Hardy bulls, docile cows, sturdy calves. That's what we all want and what Peters Farm Black Herefords prides themselves on providing. With a herd built from F1s that the Peters family believes in, you know they are bringing quality. They do currently have some bulls and heifers available. Check them out at Peters Farm Black Herfords, all one word, dot com, or call Bobby at 704 704- nine, two, eight, eight, four, five, eight. Well, and I always tell people the market figures it all out in the end. You know, you may fly high and, and hot for a little bit, but eventually the market realizes there's no way this data was accurate anyway. And, and in today's world, um, what, what do we have? We have our integrity. And I think that in everything we do, Making sure that integrity and character shine through and, and, you know, it's better not to have a weight there, for example, um, than to have something that, you know, is not, was not measured and taken. So, and when someone asks you why you don't have a weight, you say, cause the damn was crazy and she was going to eat me, you know, and I couldn't lift the calf up high. I mean, people understand that, Right. But when they're sitting there looking at the calf, like I had one instance where we went and visited and the, you know, the gentleman told me, oh, that calf was 85 pounds. And I was like, that's the biggest 85 pound calf I've ever seen. You know, (laughs) I mean, and and so I I think that it's, it it is very interesting. Uh, Just no weight is better than a false weight. So I'd love to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole that I didn't expect on that one with you. Talk to me about tape weights. There's... a lot more people than I realized that are still using the tapes to measure those birth weights. Do you feel like those are accurate? You've got a lot more experience with looking at that data long-term than I do. Yeah. Um, I love rabbit holes, by the way, I get myself in them all the time. It's better than a foxhole. Uh, so I think when you talk about tape weights, it is important. I don't know if you guys have the ability in digital beef to indicate that it was a tape weight, uh, but the evaluation does account for that now, because what we are finding is there's less variation in those weight groups when you take them via tape. And I think anyone out there who's a tape, you know what I mean. So, you know, you don't have the the one pound, two pound differences. Like, you know, you have more of like four to five pound differences um, on average. And so your bell shape curves a little different. So it is important to denote if you... Are using a tape to make sure that that is recorded. So that would be my advice to anyone out there who's taping calves is, is figure out a way to make a notation that it was a tape weight instead of an actual weight. Yeah, no, that's good to know. It makes sense now that you say it. And I actually don't know how to go do some research. I don't use tape weight. So I haven't noticed if there's a box, but now when we're done, I'm going to have to go dig around and see if that's a thing. Yes, it's always very good. And like I said, if if Digital Beef isn't collecting that, we should talk to them because the IGS evaluation does uh, take that into account. Good to know. Okay, so then let's talk about how contemporary groups and EPDs converge. How, How does doing those contemporary groups correctly impact the accuracy of your EPDs? So EPDs tend to, I mean, we all talk about accuracy and reliability. And I like to draw, we all wrote essays in high school. And if you had turned in an essay, Jennifer, with your intro and your conclusion, but no body, what did your teacher have to do? They had to infer and assume your whole middle piece, right? So they would have to take your intro and they'd have to take your conclusion, which is what we would be doing with EPD is if we're just like, here, here's my best calves, you know, up here. And then here's all my dams. And I'm like, but what happened? to the rest. And you the last thing that you want as a producer is anyone making assumptions about what's actually happening on your farm. Take your power back and record every hoof because that is your that is your power as a breeder. And so instead of having the evaluation drawing assumptions from related animals You know, you're actually saying this is what's happening on my farm. And why that's important to EPDs is because when we look at how EPDs are calculated, it is genetics plus environment that equals phenotype, right? That equals expressed out there. And so, how can we account for your environmental effects if we don't have the complete idea and picture of what was actually collected? performance information wise, so that we can deduce what came from genetics, Jennifer, and what was an environmental effect. So someone's calves in Texas this year are going to weigh vastly different than someone in Iowa. And if they used the same sires, let's say that those two breeders in this example, so let's say the Texas breeder used, you know, the same four sires that the Iowa breeder used via AI. If the Texas breeder only turns in a portion of his calves that he really, really liked, and those were his best weighing calves, I mean, they came in at like 580, you know, and he was so stoked. And the Iowa breeder comes in and records his weights, and his are at 725 out of those same sires. But the Texas guy's like, well, but I had, you know, some of the lower weight, like we didn't have his range. So we thought, his average was centered around that 580 and the Iowa guy had submitted everything. And so we had his lowest and his highest We're better able to deduce the environmental effect. And we can tell that in the Iowa group, they had more feedstuffs, right? They had more readily available and the Texas breeder really shortchanged himself by not including those calves that also weighed 350 pounds, right? Because we didn't know that there was any 350 pounders so we're just going off of the average. So one thing to keep in mind as a producer is by only recording the top scale or what you consider to be the top scale of your calves, they actually don't look as rock starish, you know, as they should. Um like I think about I mean I with the Super Bowl coming up, you know, I think about football. So it would it would be like sending Patrick Mahomes to a tryout by himself and then someone saying well, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback that ever lived. Well, he's the only one that's playing, you know? So of course we have to say he's the best, but if you send him out there with the other 31 quarterbacks in the NFL league and he ranks one of 32, Jennifer, suddenly that resonates with us, right? Like that's something that we can tangibly say he's ranked one out of 32. And we do that for statistics and mathematics. And that is something I feel very passionate about. There is no black like black box, when it comes to statistics, it is math. And that's what we're trying to do. So we do a better job at the statistics, when we can estimate your environmental effect. And the only way that we can best estimate your environmental effect is when you give us the whole picture. So if you have 100 calves, you should be recording all 100 calves, not just, you know, the 60 you want to register. That's, that's my best thing is by recording all of them, you increase your accuracy and reliability. If you're not recording every hoof, how can you confidently use EPDs in your selection decisions? Well, and I, love I don't that, know how you could. I love that you push that accuracy thing because that's something that we hear people complain about all the time. Well, the accuracy levels are just so low across every breed, right? There are a bunch of breeders that say, oh, I don't trust EPDs. The accuracy is too low. Well, what are you doing to make sure your accuracy is higher? And the first step is put all of that data in because I think it seems counterintuitive to some people you know if I only turn in my best stuff then I look better it's something to wrap your head around It, it is and the other thing you're doing is you're shortchanging your cows this episode is also sponsored by HI cattle company here in the heart of the Nebraska Sandhills. We've got our spring offering ready to go. The bulls are thick, deep, and fed right. We know the saying cowboys don't like fat bulls, but they'll sure pay for them. But we've also seen the industry wide problems that come from g- growing bulls quick and hard way too early. Our bulls are never pen fed, but out working on the grass and walking to water with minimal DDG supplements. We know cattlemen need consistent performance that will add pounds to their calves, and we know our bulls will do that. Our own cow-calf herd is our genetic proving ground. You can see our Black Hereford and Angus bulls at the website H-I-S-L-L-A-S-H cattle.com or follow us on Facebook. So uh, let's look at a, you know, a six-year-old female who theoretically should have had four calves recorded. If I only recorded her two best calves, it makes me look like I have a six-year-old who gapped for two years. And I know that sometimes we forget the, you know, we forget the female in this equation. Um, And and the flip side is also true. If we're only recording the best calves, we're also skewing damn cards, you know, like it's not giving the whole, the whole picture, you know, for those best cows. So um, be responsible record every hoof. And if you work the program, I always say it doesn't happen overnight, but if you consistently continue recording your calf data in two to three years, after two to three calf crops, you will see a difference in your EPD profiles. Um, you will, and you will see them tend to be more reflective of what you're actually seeing on farm. Um, and that's just, That's advice from someone who's done this for a long time is if you say my EPDs are not matching up to what I see every day, let's take a deep dive into what you're recording. Um, Because I would say that what's happening is it's not a fair representation because we're not turning in the data to make it a fair representation. One question I have for you. I just heard this last week and I had never heard it before. So it, it really caught me by surprise is that a proper contemporary group to be really truly done right needs to have more than one sire represented in it. Can you walk me through why that is? That's correct. Because once again, we're trying to draw comparisons with contemporary groups, okay? And so to be able to compare, we have to be able to remove genetic effect versus environmental effect. So if I only have one sire in a group, can I really draw comparisons, you know, against what was genetic versus what was environment? And the answer is no, like, because, you know, that sire doesn't give us enough of a difference in a variation. And when we look at EPDs, Jennifer, you know, like if you pick a sire, that's a plus two on birth weight versus a sire that's a zero. What does that mean? That means sire A is expected to have calves on average that weigh two pounds more than sire B, and if I if I'm not able to tell you whether those comparisons were accurate, you come back and tell me EPDs don't work because you're like, hey, every calf weighed this, and I'm like, well, we don't have anything to compare it to, so we need to have a sire A and a sire B um, truly. And so if you if you are someone out there though who only has one sire, please don't think that your data is not valuable. That's that's not what we're saying. Right. Um, it just it just means that we have a little bit tougher time. Uh, With evaluating, you know that group because we we don't have a good grasp on the comparison. So, how about ET calves? Why do they need their own contemporary group when really, you know, the genetics might match with the rest of them? So we're still in the in the animal breeding world. There are so many questions because we all know that the recip, the surrogate dam, uh, you know, has quite a bit to do with um influence on birth weight. Like I'll just pick on that trait. Um also we're learning more and more and more about fetal programming. So um and if that recip is stressed, Jennifer, if she's been kind of sick, maybe not in the best condition, what we're seeing sometimes in those ET calves is they never fully reach their genetic potential because they were exposed in utero to some extreme stressors. Um, one thing that when you talk about embryos and ETs, we uh, look at a um, drought condition, drought-ridden areas, and those ETs when they have full siblings across country that weren't exposed to the same drought conditions, they never catch up. Uh, so I think that sometimes in those situations, we have a tougher time with embryos on on contemporary scale because the recip does have a a bigger effect than what any of us recognize or are able to measure. So that's why you don't get contemporary groups with your embryo calves. We are looking at ways to, if someone uses a registered female that we do have a little bit of data on. So if they use a registered female as a recip, how can we incorporate those into the evaluation and account for that? Uh, But it is really tough when someone just says, you know, bought, I bought 10 cows at the sale barn. Black, um, weird. Almost always weird. <laughs> and 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 so that's that's why we're having a tougher time with the M, like with the ETS. Uh, to be very honest, is we, we just we need to get a better grasp of of the true impact of a recip. And and I mean that can impact weaning weights too. You know we see that so so that's a little bit tougher. Makes sense though. I know we we it, the recip does matter. I, that's my that's my last plug for that one. For is is like please just don't use, you know, sometimes we think of those as junk cows, throwaway cows. She does matter. Yeah. Well, and you know, some of the best advice when we started ETNR operation that we got was treat those reset cows exactly like your registered. Just because they might be commercial cows, you still have to pamper them. And that helps it too. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's, that. that's a big, so I, I believe that in the next five years, we will see contemporary grouping for, for embryos um, as we move through this and, and, you know, get better, more fine-tuned at that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on whole group or whole herd reporting. You know, um, at our operation, we are also members of Angus and Herford. So we kind of have seen you know, the way Angus has gently done it and given everyone a choice, and way Herford just kind of threw everybody in. And it's a conversation right now in the Black Herford world. You know, should we be switching to a whole herd reporting model? And I'd just love to hear from the data perspective what you think that could do for the association, for our numbers. I really like whole herd reporting, number one. I think it's a passion of mine. Uh, Because of what we've been talking about, you really do get complete contemporary grouping uh, from the majority of your membership who participate. And so for smaller breed associations, especially, it becomes your lifeblood. Data is your lifeblood of your association. So the more data in complete sets that we can flow through your doors, the better it gets for everybody. So wholehearted reporting gives a vehicle for people to do that. And it gives them an inspiration. And a lot of times it gives them a monetary incentive uh, because it, you know, it might be a little bit more inexpensive. Um, So in the two programs that you named, you know, Hereford and Angus, you have some perks, we'll call them, uh, by participating in whole herd reporting. And I do think that it's advantageous for progressive producers who, you know, who, who really want that to be a focus. It also... Um, is a badge of honor that breeders wear. Uh, You'll hear that very frequently. You know, like I I participate in wholeheart reporting um, because it indicates that you are serious about data, data management and serving, you know, your customers. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of squabbling, some concerns that, well, it's going to cost me so much more. In the long run, no. You know, not if you're doing it correctly and And, you know, when folks talk about cost, uh, I think that it's important to know what is a true cost and what's an investment. Data is an investment in the future of your operation. If you are utilizing EPDs, genomics, anything at all, as far as uh, genetic tools for progression, it it's not a cost of doing business anymore, jennifer. it's it's this is the investment in our operation that is going to keep us at the forefront and headed in the direction we want to go. I don't say that as a salesperson. I just think that sometimes our brains, the way we wire our brains to think about things. And if we think about it as an investment, we tend to put that more of a priority rather than the things we associate as a cost. So I would encourage folks out there, think of your data as an investment back into your operation And let's provide you with the tools to properly collect it. Makes sense. So before we go, I do want to ask if you could just give us a little taste of what Right Mate and Right Choice are and kind of what's coming down the pipeline with those programs. Yeah. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I work with a company called Allied Genetic Resources. And that is owned by Marty Rupp. And he partnered with Dr. Madi Sachi from Top Genomics LLC, and Madi came at us with this program that he calls Right Mate and Right Choice, and it's his passion project. And I do not say this lightly um, because I think that when you get the opportunity to engage with Madi and with Marty and myself, this is something we're very passionate about: is moving producers forward. In whatever direction you want to go, Jennifer, like we're not trying to tell you who to breed to. And the genius of these programs is it's a precision mating tool for the right mate. And it allows you to utilize the EPDs that we've been talking about and also insight into the genomics, which we use the word genomics um, and we throw that around just like we do EPDs. Genomics is the study of how the actual genes that the animal inherited interact and come to fruition. So I think when we when we talk about genetics versus genomics, know out there that genomics is how those genes interact with one another to have an expressed phenotype. So what Madi studies with right made and right choice both is the actual homozygous, like homozygosity, heterozygosity, at certain uh, like certain locations that he knows have large impacts. And so what what that allows him to do is take animals and make complementary matings, okay, of that are advantageous to move your needle. So whether you're a producer, Jennifer, like let's say that you're someone who wants to produce terminal sires for your customers, like you want to compete on that scale. These tools, these types of tools allow you to do that. Like if you have genomics on your cow herd, you can go out and you can work with top genomics and you can select and say, I want to mate, I'm looking at mating to these 20 bulls. And what they do is they actually go out and individually mate your females to the 20 bulls that you have selected. Not that we've selected, that you've selected and that you then lay out your breeding objectives. Here's where what my ideal progeny out of these cows would look like. And then Maudie puts those genes together as best as he can. So we've been talking about like EPDs. We can't account for Mendelian sampling, right? When that sperm meets that egg, there's a lot of things that can happen. But what Maudie does is try to stack the deck um, by really pairing homozygous animals, you know, either maybe your animals homozygous for desirable traits. Maybe it's homozygous for undesirable traits. How can we mate that animal though to come up with an you know progeny that might carry a heterozygous? Like even though you have a homozygous for undesirable, doesn't mean that that cow is worthless. It means that we need to make sure we're pairing her with an animal that will produce a better progeny. Just like our parents used to tell us when we were growing up. Their goal was to produce kids that were better- Than them that outperformed them in animal breeding that's what we're trying to do produce animals that outperform the sire in the dam that's what i mean that that's where we're going right so the that's the right mate program jennifer and i encourage anyone who's interested in this uh you can reach out you know um to myself you can reach out to marty um Tom Hook is also helping us, but if you need contact information and would like to visit about this program, number one, you have to have genomics on your cows. So you have to have GGP tested your cows. Um, And then, you know, we can have those conversations. So if you haven't done that, please look into getting your cows tested or talk to Ernie at the association and he can direct you. The second piece of the program, which is changing the way that commercial um, cow, calf producers purchase bulls is it's called right choice. And what we do, Jennifer, is we evaluate bulls. So sale bulls or any animal that you like, I shouldn't just limit it to sale bulls, but most of this we do on sale bulls and we categorize them into three categories, which is we have an accredited cavities bulls, which is Ace bulls. That means you can confidently recommend those bulls to be utilized on first calf heifers and your customer can, you know, go forth and conquer because those bulls do not carry any of the known large impact birth weight genes, which if you start studying this, if you're a kind of a genetics nerd, there are specific genes that very much impact the birth weight of the calf. And if we can look at whether those bulls are homozygous or heterozygous for those traits, we can help you sell bulls to folks that hopefully they won't call you and say the calf came out the side of the cow, right? So there's ACE bulls and then we have G plus bulls, which just means that that bull is a nice mixture of both maternal and terminal traits. So someone who is wanting to breed and kind of run that middle, they can have, they can confidently purchase G plus bulls and retain heifers. Then you have uh, what we call, uh, you know, so it's an ATM bull, which is take your cash all the way to the bank. So for a cow calf producer who is not retaining replacement heifers, and they just want to put pounds on the truck An ATM bull on, on cows is going to deliver above average, you know, your weaning weights are going to be heavier. And so we split them into those three categories. As you can tell, some bulls will receive an ACE and a G plus because it is possible for him not to have the big birth weight genes and also be a nice balanced, but you'll never have an ACE bull. That's an ATM. So those two cannot go together. You cannot have a big growthy like we've all seen them, right? You cannot have the huge power bull and him also be cavities, Right? Like that's just not going to happen. Um, and you can have a G plus in an ATM, and and so you can have five different categories of of bulls, and we also score them on a one to five scale, and so you get to see which of your bulls have really desirable genes, and which of them might. Not have you know like the most desirable, and once again, it doesn't devalue that animal, but maybe it does change the way that you promote them. Yeah. Um. Because I like to say, choose to know. Like, would you rather be able to confidently promote the bulls that you're selling to your customers with a little bit more added layer, or are you willing to send? You know, this guy comes and says, you know, I had a wreck last year with Cavanaugh, my first calf efforts, and you know, I'm willing to take a chance on this bull. And you're like, like sitting there chewing your fingernails, like, how's this going to work out and losing sleep? And, and so I do want to encourage, we now have the ability to see these things. And and I know it's hard when you cannot see, touch, or feel something to trust that it works. Like I get it. Um, but the truth of the matter is we now know enough about the bovine like genome, to be able to do a few of these things. We're learning more and more and more all the time, Jennifer, none of this is a silver bullet. None of this guarantees, you know, anything. And I know we're all looking for that thing that, you know, we're like, ha ha, I got the golden ticket. Um, but the fact of the matter is we do know more than we knew a year ago. We definitely know more than we did five years ago. And I think that with Black Hereford moving into IGS, I just want to say and commend that decision because you are now going to be able to take advantage and leverage like the power of all of that data uh, and really move yourselves and propel, propel yourselves if you're willing to make the investment within your own operation. And so I think, I mean, to kind of wrap up everything we've been talking about, that is something. They say comparison is the thief of all joy. When it comes to contemporary groups, please allow us to do comparisons. But when it comes to you comparing yourself to your neighbors and to other people in your breed, I would say that we all do things different. It's what makes us unique. And if you set and chart your course and stay your course, that is the most important, vitally important thing that you can do on an operation. Um, because it takes so much time in the cattle business for things to come to fruition. And if you don't give it enough time, it, it's never gonna come to fruition. So chart your course, you know, be willing to be unique and stand up for what you believe in. Invest in the opportunities that you think are appropriate for your operation. Um, and please do not leave data as the last thing on the table. Please, I beg of you. <laughs> I think you could not have ended this more fabulously. What a perfect message. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on today, Jennifer. I look forward. I look forward to more, more conversation. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Herford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.